Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the Coriolis Rules by Free League Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and contains adult themes. Strong language, powerful factions, and adventures across the third horizon await. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your storyteller, Storyteller Mike, and we are back with another episode, another installment of Children of the Periphery, our Coriolis Chronicle. And so at the top of the show, as we like to do, we'd like to thank you, the listener, and especially you, the Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for joining and supporting the cast and our endeavors. You can support us by just following the show on YouTube as well and uh, hitting a like, maybe commenting on this episode about what you thought about the previous one. And so now we'll get to cast introductions. So to my right. This is Morgan. I play Captain Amara Kasra, and we just found a bunch of dead bodies. It's always exciting. You did. You found um, several of them, and they were in uh, many different states. You also found um, a little bit of pay data, it sounds like. So that could be super useful. And to Morgan's right. Hi, this is Allie, and I play Kainat Gala. And I could have blown everybody up, but I lucked out and didn't. You did luck out at the end of the proverbial table. Hi, I'm John. My pronouns are he and him. And I'm playing Fida, whose pronouns are the same. And uh, I could have been blown up and didn't even know it. So things are all good here. Also, I, I stole some alcohol from a dead man. He wasn't going to use it. It's, it'd just be a waste. That's right. It'd, be go, it'd go to waste. It's John's right. Hi, this is Rena. My pronouns are they, them. And I am playing Tamarisk Anvari, also they, them. And I'm not having the best day. Certainly been better. <laughs> Not the best day. Well, I will clutch pearls with you and get to our last, but most certainly not least. Hello, I am Rosie, she, her, of Odd Duck Dice. And today I am playing Icarus, also she, her, who is the pilot of our crew. And she has been doing all sorts of new things today. Many, many new things ahead as well. So we will open our camera to a blank starfield. The transport ship, which is taking you away and down to the planet Kua, currently is pointed at away from the planet. So you begin a long turn. And Kua, in sort of an uh, ominous is not the right word, but in an inevitable sort of way, begins to fill the view screen where you're at. This green and darkened ball of planetary mass the transportation back to the atmosphere is pretty painless. The ship makes course corrections and adjustments based on the atmosphere buffering that goes on. And then within a few minutes, you are past it and heading towards that. Building is such a strong word. The monolith is a structure that was built far, far before the first comes and even the Zenithians were here, much to their chagrin. It was built by portal builders long ago. But it now serves as a structure for all of Zenithian culture. 
no matter how many things they might bolt onto it, the sheer size of the monolith prevents it from being overtaken by these additions. You dock soon thereafter at the same landing pad that you had taken off from, not but hours ago. And once the bay doors close, sort of cradling you inside your patron, Leah Marhoon's complex, estate, it's hard to say which one, you're allowed to exit the vessel. There's a small receiving amount of guards. I think that's probably the best term. They might call themselves technicians for certain political reasons, but it's fairly clear that they're watching the group as they get prompted to exit the craft. Fight is going to be very quick to get off because he wants to get this over and done with. He is that sort of fellow. Yep. Okay. You have some time, it looks like, to get directed to a, a platform, which is near a couple of elevator banks that you exited into this space from earlier. One of the uh, ship's technicians that's here sort of nods to you as you walk past. The two of you can clearly smell the mechanics oil on one another, and so there's some sort of unspoken camaraderie. Yeah, and he just kind of gives the nod back, the way you do. And um, he's kind of looking out across the same bay, and he's kind of like, is that ship still here? Is that is that ship still here? It is. I doubt you're the only one doing that. But there is a, at the back of the bay, that very sleek, large vessel that sort of sits in the back of the bay. There are some technicians that look like it's working on it. And if you didn't know it any better, Fida, you'd say that they might be refueling it? Can't be sure, but maybe. Maybe, yeah. I want to get out of this place. A large suit of power armor steps off of an elevator. And when it does, the the floor doesn't shake with it arriving, but the you can hear the density of the metal as it it moves a little bit closer. You hear a robotic voice come out of the completely shielded helmet this way. Fida looks back at the rest of the gang, kind of just shrugs and here we go again. I kind of jog off the platform to catch up with Fida. Just don't worry, you're not going to have to go by yourself. Icarus trails behind everybody else and she is definitely eyeing up that ship that was on the other end of the hangar. Very much in sort of attitude where you were at a bar last week and you saw somebody that you liked and you're wondering if they're going to be there again and you look and you see them and you get a little excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's just as sleek as ever. Everything is in the exact right place. From here, it looks like a poster you'd hang on a wall. I stroll up next to Icarus. Hey, did you get anything off those data pads you pulled from the apartment? Has Icarus had a chance to look at those, like, while we were in transit? I mean, you probably looked at them, so if you'd like to make a data general, you can. There will be a single point complication applied to it, so you'll need more than one success. But I still roll the five dice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just need more than one six. That's a fail, just one six. Okay. So yeah, you have done your best to try to discern and get into them. You just haven't really had any luck. That's sort of the worst part of it. Sorry, Cap. Nothing. Well, thanks for trying. 
Tamarisk is in the middle somewhere, sort of ambling behind Fida, but in front of everybody else. The guard looks you over. Tamarisk pays very close attention as you move from place to place. Once inside the lift, you get scooted up pretty fast. So this is sort of like an express elevator, and then it moves between the floors real quick. So the lift takes maybe just a click or two before it's up four or five floors and you're exiting back out into a floor you'd been before. This is, I guess, the main living space or working space for Marhun. It's a wide and sort of expansive, open, rolling living room. The The best thing I can equate it to is sort of like a straight out of the old earth 1970s like play areas that would get designed so that there's wide ranging places for people to come and meet and linger and there's like a pit where people can have conversations or it's all plushly carpeted and and then there's a big arch at one side of the room that looks out onto Kua and there is a couple of staff members here that are cleaning and then there one side of the room there's a bar and from your left, as you exit, you see Marhoon walking through with a data pad. And she greets the crew with a simple and genial smile. Welcome back. A pleasure. Would you like something to drink? Always. She gives a very careful motion to the staff member behind the bar, and they come to collect any drink orders the crew has. So, what did you find? Hmm. We found dead bodies. She does not seem surprised by this. No. Did you know what we were walking into? Not the specifics, but smugglers that use places like that tend to end up one or maybe three ways. They become very successful, and they get paid very handsomely. They wallow in their winnings and enjoy the fruits of their labor a little too much, or the end the other way. Well, this was definitely the other way, including anybody that was with them. Kaina, can we get this lady her disc so we can be on our merry way? Absolutely. And I will reach into my bag and produce it. Excellent. Marhoon extends a hand. Just press it right into her hand. She takes it. Amar, I'm surprised at you, I guess. This isn't just another business transaction. It's an act of faith. She walks towards the multi-tiered couch area. I follow her after taking my drink from the, the bartender. I'm not some spice trader in the ozone that you can just cast off and say, on to the next job. I provide you your work. Yes, and we want to get to that. This was a test of faith. Well, you can have faith we didn't run to the authorities to let them know about the dead bodies. Of course not. Not your first journey on Coriolis or underneath it, from what I understand. No, the the Underbelly and I are, are fully acquainted. Intimately. Really? A fantastic tale. Hopefully your cortisol can cure it one day. Tamaris waggles their eyebrows slightly. So... Moab did, for a time, work for me. I think it is important to make that clear. I was not displeased by his work. I was not upset with him. I asked him to collect something very important for me. It is clear, however, that 
he chose to make another way. You're familiar, of course, what happens in trading circles when you make a deal with someone and then decide to go back on it. Yes, that is operating in bad faith then. Yes, I think it is important that we promise each other that we won't operate in bad faith. Miss Marhoon, we signed a contract with you. Mm -hmm. And I am a person of my word. Good. Contracts are just letters on pages. The legal department is important, especially for what comes next. As your patron, it gives me the opportunity to protect you from certain things in certain spaces. When there are disagreements about things that will happen in the future, being able to supply someone with credentials and your patron's name will go far. It may keep you out of trouble. So, she sets the data disk aside. What else did you find? Besides the dead bodies? Hanging in closets? Mm-hmm. Icarus pulls out the data pads and slides them over. And she does not say anything. Hmm. Have you been able to decipher what it is? She picks one up and sort of taps at it. I haven't had time to look, City. Of course. Well, I asked you for this. She sort of pats the disc. You have supplied me this as well. So I think it's only fitting to let you try to crack it open. It could be important data. It could be lists of recipes. Who knows? Something to do. Because after all, you're going on a trip, right? A trip I'm sure your captain is very interested to make. As long as you uh, keep your end of the bargain to help me and give me the resources I need. Mm, absolutely. Resources are what this is all about. It's all it has been about. It's all it will be about. I need you to go to Menkar, a far-flung planet on the Sadal route. Some would say it is the edge of existence in this horizon. It is a planet that has long been studied by archaeologists, scientists, religious zealots. They have been looking for secrets there. They believe that the portal builders may have left clues about what else could be out there. There is a crypt I need excavated. Deep within the planet's crust, there is a series of chambers, ones which we believe may hold some scientific significance. These could be housed in anything from clay pots to computer systems long since dormant. I have a few coordinates I will want you to investigate all under the auspices of a completely legal and credentialed archaeological dig. A cover story, if you will, to protect you and my property from others who might object. If I may. Mm-hmm. Why us in particular? Air quotes. Expedition. Because you are the team I have secured for it. I think the array of talents here is somewhat exceptional. We have a, we have a, the true ship's captain, one who's familiar with the stars. We have a burgeoning and apt pilot. 
and very interested in all sorts of things that give them that sense of freedom. You have a, a scientist, a record keeper, a rare thing these days to be out in the open, a ship's engineer. And when all of that fails them, someone who can talk them out of all the problems they've gotten themselves into. Right, Tamarisk? Oh, I have some skills. Thank you for satiating my curiosity. Of course. Of course. You've given us a a mission, but how do you expect us to actually... What am I going to be flying? So very interested in how you'll get there. An important question. That's going to be my job, you know? So you essentially plucked me out of my life. Show me what I'm doing. The... The TPX-24 model is fairly unique. Originally built as a blockade-running ship, I had it converted to carry a little bit more mission-required equipment. She taps um, something on her wrist, like her right wrist, and a whole display pops up in the middle of the sitting area, sort of whirs to life and begins plotting all of these images around. Icarus leans forward very interestedly and her posture improves slightly like she's been, you know, sort of folded up the entire time. But now that she's focusing on this, she definitely looks a little more comfortable and the lighter that she was sort of passing through her fingers slips back into a pocket. Not the same pocket she pulled it out of. A different pocket, but a pocket. It's been a labor to get it to where it is today. It has taken months in dry dock to make all of the modifications to her hull, all of the internal mechanisms, all of the sustaining sections, which will keep a crew sharp and calm. I look forward to seeing how you find her. When do we ship out? The vessel will be ready within the hour. After that, it's simply a matter of getting prepared and then lining up with the jump gate time. Yeah, I look at the others? Do you have everything you need? I'll go through the uh, the ship's stores and make an inventory of what we require and what's what's missing. There'll always be something. I'm from here? Like, way, way down there. I'd like to say goodbye to some people before I go away so that they don't think I'm just dead. Of course. I wasn't asking you, I was telling the captain, because that's my boss. My own sparks. Yes, Icarus. Do what you must, but shall we meet at the hangar in two hours? Will that be enough time? I will need to contact the temple, but otherwise... Wonderful. She stands up, taking the um, disc that you'd plucked from Moab with her and tucks into one of her pockets. Well then, I'll leave you to it. She begins to walk away, her drink in hand, back towards the bar. Fida's going to go and he's going to talk to the folks in the in the bay and make sure that the ship has everything he thinks it's going to need, which might be a couple of extra bits of th- things that usually you only want one of. Mm-hmm. And uh, making sure that You'd get a a rundown of the vessel from an exterior perspective. You'd get to 
sort of the, the quick of the matter, which is, is that the Marhoon isn't allowing anyone aboard until the crew's assembled to go aboard together. And so they can give you sort of like the technical bits. You get like a few, some images from on board. I mean, the ship looks fantastic. You get the technical readout, which shows that backs that up. But you get a list of, in your head, of requisitions you'll still need to make. That's it's going to happen with any ship. Yes, in that case, he's going to jaw with the, some of the dock staff for a while and do the previous crew report any problems. <laughs> so that's the thing that's sort of a little bit interesting about this vessel. This vessel doesn't technically have a previous crew. It's never been out on a voyage as such. Mm-hmm. Because it's been so heavily modified. Yeah, he's just kind of like, oh, I really want to talk to the guys that were the last guy that was servicing it. But oh, well, you do what you can. Indeed. Before I walk out of the area from where we're meeting with Leah Marhoon, mm-hmm. I do turn and ask her, just out of curiosity, what, what's the name of the ship? Oh, <laughs> it's interesting that you should ask. It doesn't have one yet. The crew will have to decide. Or... Perhaps you'll decide, Captain. That's really a decision I'm leaving in your hands. You are, after all, their captain. Wonderful. Yeah, after I leave her living quarters, I will go to the nearest, well, I guess if there is one on Kua, somewhere that sells weapons. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm going to purchase a Vulcan pistol. Hmm. Because... I tossed my last pistol when I was leaving Coriolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easy enough for you to get a hold of in the interim time between. I think you you could probably in some places on Kua, like throw a burr and hit three or four different weapon sellers. Especially now that there are some not so friendly disagreements between the Free League that's here and like the Legion guys that are here. The weapon sales have probably skyrocketed in the past few segments here on Kua. Tamarisk, are you going to go back to Coriolis to gather your things? If I have the time to do so, I would likely also need to let the temple know that I'm going to be gone for a while, so I'm not requested for things. Yeah, certainly they let you know that uh, there was an advisory letter sent from the office of Marhun that said that you had been requisitioned and that the temple has been afforded a certain stipend for securing your services in a longer-term fashion, the appropriate deposit we made into your accounts at regular intervals. And I would let my sponsor, Madame Ka, know that I will be gone so that she is not looking for me for some time, and then I would go pray before I return. Fair enough. Icarus, I know that you've got a few people that you want to get in touch with. So making it down to, we'll just say, the ground floor is something of a um, enlightening experience. That super fast lift can take you basically close to the ground level. In doing so, though, it does take a while, which sort of begs the question about how high up you are. But you can get back to the old neighborhood reasonably quick. She's not going to want to be seen getting off that elevator near her neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So she's going to get off like somewhere a little bit above the mid-core sort of layer. And, you know, 
hoof it from there in whatever is a non-ostentatious fashion that isn't going to make anyone think they should mug her. Certainly. It does take you a little bit extra time to invest in a careful approach back to the, the old neighborhood so that you're not spotted, you know, living the life, quote unquote, as folks here might call it. If only they knew. If only. So you want to see Margot then? Yes. Icarus is going to want to see her sister Margot and give her nephews a squeeze before she goes. And if she runs into a couple other individuals, she's got to say goodbye. But those are her priorities. Yeah. So Margot has a place that's not too terribly far from, you would say, quote unquote, home. She lives in the same neighborhood. Folks around here tend to stick here. They tend to stay as long as they possibly can because they know how safety works here. And some of the jobs that exist here are the sort that kind of pay just enough to live here. So Margot's place is filled with all sorts of just resonances of family life. Her kids, uh, Zared and Jordan, are bundles of energy at this point. And so past the front door, you're filled with their energy and feeling like you're home. Yes. She sweeps her nephews up into a hug and then promptly gets knocked over like they were excited puppies. Yeah. And she has to wrestle herself free to actually see her sister. Presuming she's home. She is. Margo's home and likely preparing dinner. So you hear her call from the kitchen area. You just just uh, keep him busy for a few more minutes, okay? Okay. Hey guys, can can you let me up? I need to breathe. Can can I, can I breathe? Maybe. They let you breathe after a minute or so, but you have sort of become now the central figure in the game that they're playing, and. Basically, all of the things that they need to do to play this game require them to interact with you. So you become their their pillar, their icon in this game. She acts with all necessary stoicism in this game because she knows that it might be the last one she gets to play with them for a while. Yeah, it fills more than a few minutes. But eventually you hear plates hit the table and the long breath that comes from your sister, knowing she's probably domestically engineered her butt off today, and she's probably exhausted. Better her than me. Okay, kids, it looks like mom's ready. Yeah, they streak into the kitchen. Margot, with just the, the deafness and ease, just sort of to redirects them physically. Just very calmly, you know, make sure that they get into their chairs and and then uh, they begin on their meal. And she leans back against one of the counters here, looks you over. What brings you by? Shalom, Marco. It's the last 24 hours have been. <clears throat> and she just hugs her sister tight and whispers in her ear, definitely so the boys can't can't hear. Dante betrayed me. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay, but I'm going to be gone for a bit. I'm going to have to go work a, a job that's going to be away. You can feel Margot's fingertips like grab onto you tighter. What happened? 
he got stupid. I was stupider. I'm going to be working for someone <laughs> lives high up in the sky named Marhoon. So that's, I've got a patron now. Yay, joy. See Margot's complexion get a little pale. Oh, well, that's great. Brave face for the, yeah. She passes Margot the keys to her mm. apartment that she was in, in like the sort of more middle part of town. It was like, if you want it, you can keep it. But otherwise, just I'm not going to go back there. Don't really need anything from there. I just wanted to give you and the boys hugs. She wipes her eyes. Yeah. I haven't seen Dante. I, he, hasn't, he hasn't come by. So I... I guess if I do, I'll... Yeah. Just ignore him. Act like nothing's wrong. You can tell that it doesn't sit well with your sister to just ignore something like that. She probably will, but it doesn't mean that she wants to. Look, Margo, he and I are... She looks disgusted when she says the word. Serving the same patron. So don't kick up shit. <sighs> That is so like him. I mean, you were right. He's going to keep dragging me into everything after him forever, apparently. She turns around and like moves dishes into the sink. Yeah, yeah, no, I I mentioned it two, I don't know, three times at least. All right, so you're, you're always right. Maybe I'll listen to you next time. Just be careful out there. Who knows what they're going to ask you to do? I have an idea. I'll be flying a ship. I'll be doing what I do, so that's just not here. Okay, so like trade work. That's not bad. Yeah. I'd rather be here, though, because, like, who knows the next time I'll have dinner with you guys, but... um, You can always send something to the messaging center at the very least. Let us know how things are going. Yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, drop a line when I can. And uh, she gives both boys hugs... She doesn't want to distress them by telling them she's going to be gone for a while. Like she's communicated that with her sister and her sister can handle that situation. However, is appropriate for kids this age. She has no idea. She's the fun aunt. So she gives them hugs, gives her sister one last really long hug and exits. Yeah. Your sister watches you go. The kids, you know... Icons be praised don't really say more than just to their same old energetic bye, which is music to your ears, of course. They're being fed and they're reasonably happy. And you try to close out the mental image of this place with those kids being happy. A few hours pass. People do the things that they need to do. And you all eventually reassemble in the hangar where a fairly impressive looking vessel Awaits. Fida, you've been going over with some of the technicians here, just the, the basics and then some of the more advanced things that are on the ship. It's pretty impressive, all the stuff they've managed to pack into one ship. Yep, a lot of advanced systems and a lot of points for failure as far as Fida's is concerned. Goddamn if it's not a nice ship from what they're telling me. Yeah, and he's asking questions like, oh, are there medkits on board? Are there chem extinguishers? Some of them don't know. Some of them are like, I think I saw one in there. It's kind of code that it has to be 
you know, just situations like that where he's just drilling them on what have you been doing? What have you been adding, taking away, etc., etc. They're like, this isn't the shipyard. He's like, I don't care. You must have done something. Yeah, you probably have a lot of words with several different of the uh, hangar technicians that are here. That I can imagine is probably something that Amara hears as she's getting back up towards the ship in the hangar area is really Fida sort of being, we'll just say very discerning with many of the things that he wants to know. If I'm going to keep a ship running, I'm going to keep it running smooth and nice and to the best of my ability. So that'll require tools, spare parts, and one thing I've insisted on getting is a vac sealer, just in case. Well, just in case. Not a bad idea. Yeah, he's he's like, look, I never want to use a vac sealer. For the listener that doesn't know, a vac sealer is like a caulking gun for space. I'm sure that'll never come up. There won't be anything. No, that's why would I? As I said, I don't think I'll ever need to use it. I'd just rather have it and not need it. So anyone else, as they're they're getting back to the hangar, going after anything specific? I am going to stop in one of the holy places along the way and pray to the to the merchant for a safe journey and bountiful rewards and maybe some answers to some questions that I've been asking for a long time. Okay. So in, in Coriolis, there's the sort of mechanical function of praying to the icons before a mission. I'd like to take a little bit more of a narrative approach to that when the times are right. And so I, I think it's good to get an idea of sort of how you ask for their assistance or how you ask to be blessed by them. We don't have to do it every time, but I think it is an interesting touch point for the story. It doesn't have to be super long. It doesn't have to be super short. It can be sort of however you feel your character would approach it. I think you get back a genuine feeling of a reinvigoration of hope. You've been on a few of these different trade routes in the Third Horizon in your career, Amara. You've never really had a job that was willing to send you to the place, that planet, where your parents went missing. And now you are. And so I, I think that you would get a sense of hope, a renewed sense. Yep. I, and I would also light some candles and in honor of my parents and speak with the clergy members and ask for their blessing as well, either through incense or anointment, oil anointment or whatnot. I think all those are really good images to, to link into. So I think I'll just use the air-quoted words clergy here. The, the feeling here in this sort of space, it probably feels a little cold is the wrong word, but I would just say it feels very formatted. The process here is contrasty. It goes down a specific checklist that sort of anyone would be accustomed to. And so that sort of scrapes away the personalized feeling that a lot of practitioners and believers like to have. So yeah, you, you get your return, your blessing for the mission, for the travel that you're going to do. You get that hope feeling, but you get it in a space that really feels a little black and white and that you're the only color there, if that makes sense. And I feel like even with Walking through those steps, 
to have, even if it is a checkbox kind of process, is a comfortable process that I've been through time and time again. So having that makes me feel somewhat better. But I do stop at a communication hub and send a message off to Roshin, who is my spiritual advisor back on the Ash Belt. Mm -hmm. Just asking to speak with him when he has a chance, letting him know that I'm, I'm going on a trip and I could use some advice on how to proceed. Okay. Yeah. So when you're talking about messages that get relayed over distances, like all the way to the ash belt, sending that message, you'll already know that it's unlikely that he'd have the time to get back to you before you left. Oh, no, I know. I figure it would be in route. Hopefully. Anybody else? I do say a prayer to the messenger because there are many legends of what happens when you set off on a long voyage without petitioning the messenger first. Yeah, just a little. Just slightly. So, so I a prayer to the messenger, especially as this has an element of secrecy to it. This is something I want the messenger's approval slash blessing for. I think that given the nature of the passage and how you'll make it and maybe what you'll make it in, it could be quite specifically idealized for the messenger and a blessing from them. After you're all finished and back aboard the estate in the hangar, you're collectively gathered near the on-ramp, which is still up, to this ship. And likely probably here somewhere nearby, Fida making noises to uh, some of the other technicians. Fida, you see that many of your fellow crewmates are coming back together. Yeah, when I see them all coming back, I'm going to start heading over. Well, how's she looking? Well, I'm not allowed on board yet. Haven't been able to check things in person. Specs are all good, from what the folks here are telling me. She's got most of what I think we'll need. We'll need to stop somewhere and get some more bits. You know, more spare parts, more rations. I don't know what... He kind of stops and he's like, I'd rather have stuff that I know will last rather than, you know... Might go bad. Not a few small bits and pieces, but mostly good to go. Mostly good to go. If it performs the way the specs are written, it should be a dream. But every ship's a little bit different, so, you know, it'll be... It'll be just take a while to get to know her. Well, according to the specs, she's a sexy beast. So we'll just have to see what she's actually got under the hood. Now they're all back together. Marhun comes off one of the stairways here and down towards the ship. Well, Captain, you see your crew is here and ready? I look around. Seems to be as ready as well, Verby. Good. And there's just one more piece of paperwork. She takes out a data pad and hands it over to you. Complete the registry. Name the ship. Name the ship. I look at the crew. What about the periphery? Sounds good to me. Yeah. You can see that he's actually counted out the syllables in it. So that he's like, periphery. All right. That's a good number. That's fine. Sounds delightful. Good enough. If you have other suggestions, I'm willing to hear it. But, you know, I think it sounds appropriate. I mean, it's where we'll be working. So, I mean, makes sense. It is so much more polite than anything I was going to suggest. So, yeah. You tap it in. Complete the document. Sound comes back and there's a red bar at the bottom. And it asks for some sort of verification. Like the type the name again or like? No, like 
It's asking for some sort of administrative approval. Oh, like I type my name in. You type your name in. After a couple of taps, finally goes. Huh. She takes the pad back from you. Marham looks at it for a second. Hmm. I didn't take it the first time, but it looks like it's all settled now. Well, then, Captain, she ejects something out of the bottom of this pad, and it's probably no bigger than, say, your hand. It's a square object, a thin, somewhat delicate, it looks like. The ship's card. All yours. Take it out of her hand and put it in my coat pocket. Okay. You put it into your coat pocket. The uh, on-ramp, or gangplank, depending on how you want to call it, drops from the ship. The ship sort of exhales. There are pressurized gases and other air that comes out of it. Marhoon steps back. She's in your name, Captain. Be lucky if you went on first, I reckon. Well, we're all in this together. I step on the on the ship and, and walk in. So, as I'd mentioned, the ship has been modified somewhat, uh, we'll just say vigorously. But you find all of the standard places here. Uh, it has a series of standard cabins. It has a segmented chapel. And so there's iconography for all of, all nine of the icons. There's a fairly large cargo bay, at least a dwarf one that you see. The bridge looks quite advanced. And there's uh, spots, several spots here. So seats for seven, with two of those seats being sort of at the back. They almost look like jump seats. They're not full bridge chairs. They're sort of just for guests, it looks like. She's a beaut. I look over at Fida and Icarus. How soon can till we can get her up and running? Well, from what I talked to the folks outside, they've got the engines and all that tuned. I'm going to want to do more as we go. There's an Arboretum readout here, like on the bridge. I didn't know we need a gardener, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we can cycle that responsibility if the ship doesn't have an automated system for it. I reckon I can get it up and go in no time at all. It'll. I'd really rather take the time, though, to, you know, just check a few things myself before I go anywhere and just check the engine room. Turk, do all the pre-flight checks that you need. Great. And he just disappears off the bridge. It's like he was just waiting for permission to go run off and do something. Icarus sits down at the controls and just sort of stretches out and skims her fingers over the keys. And she is itching to get this bird in the air. But she waits like a good little girl because it would kind of suck to kill the engineer before we left the ground by starting something that we shouldn't. Yeah, uh, for your part, Fida, the engine room is sort of a wonderful puzzle. The layout was done by somebody that isn't you. The controls here are perfectly fine, except they're not in the right spots. This isn't aligned properly. You'd rather have that panel over there because the, the system would flow a lot better in your mind. And every time you come across another thing that you would alter or change, your brain begins creating a new checklist of things to do. And with each one, your arm starts to throb in that same forearm position. And you don't know why. He just kind of opens and closes his fists a few times, tries to work it out, but it just doesn't go away. Mike, I'd like to try and get a, a read 
what's the vibe in here? What am I getting from the ship? Or is it, do I have to wait until it's kind of going, do you think, before I could do that? Well, at least need to be powered on. Right now, the only thing that's running is, is basically the batteries that are connected to the monolith. Engines themselves are not running yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's just like, okay, so yeah, I can't talk to you until I can do that. That's fine. And he's just doing anything to kind of keep himself busy as he's just rearranging stuff and like some of the tools in the drawers are in the wrong order. Just he's like, I don't know who set this up, but they've never worked in a ship. And I love that as an excuse because it's always one you hear. It's like, no, the guy who did this has 20 years experience. And it's like, yeah, well, he never worked on one of my ships. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody has a way of putting their tools away. And whoever did it before you is just not. One thing you notice about this is a lot of the designations on the equipment here are numbers and locations that come from Chilebs, which is an advanced shipyard, which means whoever did the refit on this, they had a whole lot of technological power in their hands. Mm-hmm. There's also that little bit in the back of Fida that's just like, Oh, fuck. This is going to be so much harder to fix if anything breaks. Oh, yes. Oh, God. I'm going to have to get, like, those proprietary parts that nobody can sub-produce. And they always come with, like, two or three bits attached when all you want is the one part. Yes. It's likely one of those ships that if one part goes wrong, you have to replace the one on the left and the one on the right at the same time. Because that's just how it's engineered. You're already sort of mentally pulling out your hair, um, which is where we'll leave you. So back on the bridge, I'd like to know between uh, Tamarisk and, and Kynot what the two of you are doing, right? You see Icarus sort of getting adjusted to all of the controls, navigational controls. It has both. So it has a traditional yoke that's available to you at the navigation spot. But there are also spots around here, whether they be sensors or whether they be the, the ship has a, a weapons station. So those are things that could also be um, checked out. Do I have a separate lab for the for the stuff that's on the ship? A separate lab for the stuff that's on the ship. I need a little a little less vague. Like, is there a smaller room that's like pulled aside from the bridge for the library database that I have, my portable lab, and a place to store you know some of my other smaller stuff? Or would I just have everything like in an alcove next to like the sensors or something like that? Mm, Let's see here. So there is a workshop, but that's more like a hardware workshop. I don't see a module on here that is like a, a scientific module. The station that's on the bridge, that's where you'll be doing most of your standard work from. That does not mean that you could not alter the interior of the ship. Yeah, so on the map you'd see there's also the med lab. And so while it might be more medical focused, you could likely set up something in there to do chemical analysis or to do more scientific analysis for things that you pick up. That's probably where I'll put all the stuff that I have in that general area. Make a little bit of space if I have to. Fair enough. Tamarisk? Tamarisk is wandering around looking at absolutely everything with this massive expression of delight on their face. 
because they've never been in a ship like this and they haven't spent a whole lot of time in ships in general. And the whole prospect of this adventure is just very exciting. <laughs> so they're wandering around looking at absolutely everything. You're probably one of the first people to check out the Arboretum just based on the fact that you're going to be aboard a ship that has a naturally built and occurring garden in it. And this is definitely a place that you could see spending an awful lot of time in when it comes to maybe if you had to do some sort of emissary meeting on here, or if you had to do a more formal dinner, one could be done near here in the Arboretum, or at least as a place to exit to that isn't so hard, metallic. You wouldn't say warship. It's much less spacecraft in here and much more Central Park. It's very also relaxing for me. Reminds me a bit of my childhood. My father liked to grow things in a very small space, but he loved to grow things. And so it's just the contrasts between the softness of the Arboretum and the hardness of everything else. It's just all my creative wiring is firing, looking at all the different beautiful things. Also wondering what most of them do, but it's a fascinating place. Okay. Captain... Where is your time being spent when you first get on board? Familiarizing yourself with the bridge? Yep, I will first go throw some of my stuff down in one of the standard cabins and then go over to the bridge and sit down at the... I'm assuming there's a a chair that's like a... Yeah, so, so there is essentially two stations that are forward. One is the station that Icarus is at, and that is Flight or Con. The one to the left is the sensors or the scientific station. There's one in the center, and that is the one that the captain would sit in. And then there is one to the back left and back right. One is engineering, and the other is fire control or weapons. You have an array of controls available to you, some hard panels, and it also looks like some holographic panels that you can interact with. Like holographic as in like... 3D images of planets or like I get to talk to people or AIs. You don't know if there's an AI on the ship or not? It wasn't listed. No. I haven't worked on this kind of ship before so I do a little uh, curious uh, poking around. You poke around just getting curious about the ship. The cargo hold is vast. There's also a workshop that's right next door to it. Sort of abuts it at one section of the ship, and you can see that clearly you could do mechanical repairs in here. There's a package in the cargo bay, though, that sort of gets your eyes. It's fastened to the wall. It's probably, the package itself is probably four meters or so long. It's about two or three meters high. And then depth-wise, it's probably another two meters. Looks like a big hard case that clamshell opens. It's again, attached to the wall. I look at the others and they, there is, there's something in the cargo hold already. I don't think our, our benefactor informed us of this. I'm going to go check it out if anybody wants to come with. I am probably too busy rearranging my lab to do so. As you're passing the engine room, Fida's head pops out, which is a little disconcerting because it's just a very big head and shoulders and a mane of black hair that just like come out at a 45 degree angle. Just like, it's, it's acceptable. Did I hear you say to the others that there's a package in the hold? 
<laughs> you did, in fact. Would you like to accompany me? Love to. And he's just like, I haven't checked the hold yet. I've got to check the hold, see how that's like. Yeah, so the ship's hold is fairly generous. And uh, as was mentioned before, there is a, a matte black package. This looks more like, I guess, a really overgrown pelican case. For those of you listening, yeah, it's, it's fairly big, Fida. It doesn't look like it's got going to have weird stuff inscribed on it again, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Okay, good. Slightly different finish. Slightly different finish. If you didn't know it any better, it more looks like, like a military package. It looks like something you could, you know, roll off the ship when necessary to use. And it's got a hard case to protect it. That's what it looks like to you. I'm going to look around on it, see if there's anything stenciled on there that might explain what the heck it is. No. Just turns back to Amara and just kind of shrugs. He's like, I have no idea what this is. Is there anywhere to, any place on the package to open it up? Yeah, absolutely. There's a central button. Okay, I press it. She's not going to blow us up inside her own airlock. So it's just you and Fida there, right? Yes. All right, very good. So you press the button. When you do, you hear internal whirring inside the box. And you see the lid, this top lid, raise. And then the front sort of bifurcates and it opens like a big clamshell in front. And as it does, inside, there is a jet black speeder that sits inside of this. <gasps> it's beautiful. You've seen it before. It was in the hangar. Oh, Icarus is going to be so excited. Yeah, who wouldn't be? Also, it'd be really good if we ever have to do, you know, pack outside of town, speed in, you know, get some stores and come back. Getting a look at it this close, Fida, you see that there is angled ablative armor on it. It's meant to basically drive directly at danger and and shrug weapons fire off. He's just like, you know, I, I mean, what the fuck does she think we're going to be doing that we need this? Well, I'm glad I picked up a weapon, another weapon for her trip. I'll have a look over the engine later, see if I can do any tuning. That's neat. Yeah, she didn't leave me any gifts. I'm going to head back to the bridge, let Icarus know that she's got a gift in the cargo hold. I'm going to check down here, make sure that there's, well, that everything's what where it should be and how it should be. Check that the doors work. Yeah, so you head back down and start looking at all the to potential ways that any of the doors could be unsecure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as looking over the lab, kind of, it'll, it'll work. You likely have space for the library to sort of unfold in here. It's going to take up a fair majority of this lab space. It won't make it unusable as a medical lab by any means, but it will be sort of a shared space. And so that'll be sort of an important note for us to make about any future interactions in here. You're going to have to basically figure out a way to, you know, ignore all the groaning from potential patients who are recovering while you do your research. Yeah, I don't think that'll be a problem. Is it like up on a table with space underneath it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to store the portable lab underneath that. So I'm taking up the least amount of space that I can. Yeah, there's an adapter as well here. So that way, if you update the library lab, you can do updates to the portable lab. Like if you gather intelligence in the portable lab, you can update the main library by connecting them. 
That's so exciting. After Fida's checks come back without any issues, I guess the question is, is when does the crew turn the engines on? Icarus is just waiting for the word go. Are we ready? Engine room sounds back. I'm ready to turn on the reactor whenever you're ready to ready to go. Okay, beautiful. Let's fire you up and see what kind of legs you're walking on. Going to enable the power systems. You begin the power transfer process. The technicians in the bay disconnect you from the monolith, and then they sort of clear out of the space. In effect, a holiday party sort of starts on the bridge in front of you, Icarus. So all sorts of lights and things that were not active before as the engines come online, all these other things start up. And that's anything from environmental lighting to sensor stations to information at the captain's seat suddenly becomes available. You get a complete 360-degree readout in sort of the skeletal wireframe of the location that you're in. And beyond that, you feel the engines come online and you can see the available thrust lift and all of the different engine meters so you know that you, you could actually come up off the deck, retract the landing gear and make your way out. She takes a moment to like do the equivalent of make sure like the, the flappers on the wings are functioning correctly. Like just those quick little mechanical checks. It says, well, Captain, everything looks good here with, uh, with your permission. Let's do this. She kicks it off. The ship, the periphery, sails out of the port at Marhoon's estate and into the atmosphere of Kua. And as it raises up into the thin air of the atmosphere, there is a voice that comes over all of the ship's speakers. And it says in a strong and honeyed tone, Welcome, Captain Kazra. You start the day 1,816,125 burr in debt. Good morning. And that is where we'll call this episode to a close. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Children of the Periphery. The Periphery sails again next time.